0: Kia ora. This programme is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Story Collective. Untold stories by unheard voices. Keystrokes Per Minute, a limited series podcast about the women of the New Zealand public service typing pools from 1945 till the present day. there, <laughs> my welcome to a Keystrokes Per Minute bonus episode, Government Typist Strike. During Episode 7, the Public Service and Women's Work, listeners learned of the various and numerous attempts to implement equal pay for women within government departments, starting in 1914, leading to legislation in 1960, and an Equal Employment Opportunities, or EEO unit, being established in the 1980s. Despite these attempts by policymakers and women workers to be granted equal pay for work of equal value, it still remains elusive even today. With the current disparity sitting at 8.6% in 2021 for women in the New Zealand public service, marginally better for Wahini Māori at 8.3%, and significantly adverse for Pacifica women sitting at a 17.9% gap. These figures were sourced from the Public Service Commission website. The Keystrokes interviews were peppered by references about pay rates and the ongoing struggle for typists to be seen as valued members of the public service. One of the interesting stories that piqued our interest was when a couple of interviewees made reference to strike action taken by government typists in the 1980s. As you can imagine, recalling events from 40 or more years ago can sometimes create fuzzy memories, and our interviewees were not certain of the timing that this action was taken. So we did a little more digging and found two people outside the typing pool who could fill us in with more detail. Phil Butler was a PSA National Representative who had a front row seat to the strike action, and Dame Margaret Baisley, Commissioner for Personnel and Industrial Relations at the time of the strike in early 1985. But before we introduce the voices of these two key figures, we will hear from one of the members of the Keystrokes Oral History Project, Rachel Brown, whose research endeavours have led to a lot of the content in this bonus episode. Kia ora, my name is Rachel Brown, and I'm a member of the Keystroke Per Oral History Project. I got involved in this project because of my interest in the valuing of women's work and the issue of pay equity. I hope those listening to this podcast series reflect on how much has changed since these women joined the workforce, yet women's work so often done so smoothly and efficiently, is neither noticed nor appreciated nor valued in their pay packet. Now listeners will hear a narrated excerpt from a Radio New Zealand news clip from the 30th of January 1985, which will help us to understand the climate at the time between the government employers and the typists. This is Morning Report. Work has been held up in Parliament buildings and government departments and corporations in Wellington and Auckland yesterday as public service typists went out on strike. Typists also held stop work meetings yesterday in protest against a pay offer from the State Services Commission. And a spokesman from the Public Service Association, Mike Coleman, says he'll consider taking further action if the Commission doesn't come up with a better offer by tomorrow afternoon. Mr Coleman says the typists are very angry with what they regard as an insulting pay proposal by the Commission. He says they've been negotiating a restructured pay scale, increases in their rates of pay and changes in their grading pattern with a pay rise applied to the new package. But he says the Commission has offered no pay increase at all for two-thirds of the group and a maximum of $7 a fortnight after tax for senior typists, those who do secretarial work and supervisors. Mr Coleman says the government typists' rate of pay are substantially lower than those of their counterparts in the private sector. And he says the government typists are determined to improve their lot. We first heard about the strike action from Mary Dooley, one of our featured interviewees, who progressed from junior shorthand typist starting in 1950 to a head of typing services upon her retirement in 1993. Mary was, at the time of the 1985 strike action, senior supervising typist for the Department of Internal Affairs, managing 80 staff. Here Mary tells Rose about what was behind the strike action by the government typists.
1: The only time the typists threatened to strike, well, all the supervising typists were called to a meeting. Uh, I think it was held in St Andrews on the terrace, and, and I think it was um, Mrs. Baisley came from State Services Commission to tell us uh, why we shouldn't have a strike, but the, the staff were they had the typists' class had been left behind the clerical class completely. We were totally ignored as far as ratings were concerned. Our pay w- was absolutely. I was receiving the sort of pay that a Class 5 clerk would get with 80 staff under me.
0: Salaries and Conditions for Public Servants is guided by the civil list, and for many years this list was referred to as the stud book, which I think describes very well who it was most relevant for. During the pre-1988 State Services Act years, the civil list was reviewed regularly to incorporate the many changes in the occupational classification and the numerous occupational specialities that have evolved, some very small, though the vast majority of public servants were in the clerical group. This grading system made it clear to male public servants what their career pathway from junior clerk to head of department was. However, it was not fit for purpose for female public servants, whom worked in areas of clerical work viewed as less valued, less skilled and just women's work. Pay rates for typists and even supervisors of typing pools were most often shoehorned into the lower end of the pay scales in the clerk's grading system. In this next clip, we hear from PSA National Representative Phil Butler, who starts off his recollection of the government typist strike by explaining the implications of a sector-wide review of the public service grading system. The fact that typists did not have their own grading system or career pathway was one of the main points of contention in the stalled negotiations with the State Services Commission. Phil goes on to tell listeners his memories of the stop work meeting that led to typists marching on the State Services Commission building one windy Wellington day.
2: Those broad concepts that the union had been pursuing had been uh, accepted by the State Services Commission. And they really didn't have a choice because when you get down to it, they were arguably in breach of the legislation they were operating on, particularly with regard to not actually reviewing positions and appraising them. And I remember the, the, the results were coming out of the reviews and positions were getting regraded. But the, the, one of the claims that we put in was that there need to be recognition of personal merit. So if you were in a, in a job, but the job was sort of capped at next thousand dollars, that you're, you were particularly meritorious, there need to be a, a merit grade for you to go through. And this is where the industrial action started to heat up, um, from, in my understanding of it, uh, because I was directly involved in it. And what, What happened was the claim had been made to define what merit was. And the State Services Commission had sat upon it. And this is where the Dame Margaret Baisley comes in, because she was the commissioner responsible for this group. And nothing was coming out from the State Services Commission. And the typist started to get somewhat agitated. Well, it's probably better to say off with what was happening and they had built up a unionized perspective they had discovered that they were from an industrial point of view quite strong very strong in fact and um So we had a stop work meeting in the town hall in Wellington. And I went down from head office and been organised by the local branch of the PSA because they were their members. We had a national perspective. And uh, it was howling northerly that day. um, And one of the delegates, uh, she stood up and she said, I know we're just typists. And there was a complete howl from... And and look, uh, she was lovely. She was she was she'd become militant. It wasn't in her genes to be militant. Uh, and you know she was just middle New Zealand speaking. Anyway, she went on the back foot and apologised to everyone standing on stage. <laughs> and um, they uh, resolved uh, anyway. The meeting went on and they were beating the drums literally. And nothing had been organised by the PSA and the Stockwork meeting. And they said they were going to march on the Reserve Bank building. And this is is a story that goes down in history. So sure enough, they had to march through the streets of Wellington. But there was a howling northerly. And I'm afraid when it comes to a big union banner, they're heavy as it is, but they uh, had at least three people on each pole bent forward, pushing their way through the streets of Wellington into this northerly, determined to get to the Reserve Bank building in Bowen Street. And the Reserve Bank building, I don't know if you've seen it, but it has a a sort of large forecourt, which was quite good for 500 typists who were ready to lynch the first member of the State Services Commission who dared to put their head out of the main door. Now, Dame Margaret Baisley wasn't in the building, but they weren't interested in meeting Dame Margaret Baisley. They were interested in The Commissioner, capital T, capital C. The Commissioner was the head chariang, although some would say real power was vested in the Chief Executive Officer called the Secretary of the State Services Commission, uh, whose name I can't remember. So with the delegates, I went upstairs, I think it was about the fifth floor, somewhere around there, and put the demand that they wanted the Commissioner to, to come downstairs and speak to them, to which all these tut-tutting public servants were saying, the commissioner doesn't go downstairs to speak to anyone, to which I responded by saying, well, he has five minutes to go downstairs to speak to the public service typist and explain to them why the claim was held up. They didn't send downstairs, but the man who decided to go downstairs was the CEO, Stroke, Secretary of the State Services Commission. His name was Sango, something like that. And uh, he came down, and he was typical of chief executives of the public service in those days, no taller than five foot seven. Um, And uh, he stood there, introduced himself, and they howled and said they weren't interested in hearing from him. So he scuttled back upstairs and with the message, the commissioner had to come down. And we went up again. And the commissioner appeared and said, now, why don't you come into the boardroom? And I said, well, there's not enough seats for 500 typists. And he said, no, I'm prepared to speak to your uh, delegates and yourself. I said, no, no, the 500 typists downstairs, the words to this effect, want to hear from you. We hadn't done a head count, so I probably didn't mention 500. Hundreds were probably the more accurate description. And uh, I said, you've got five minutes to get down there. Otherwise, I'm bringing them all up here. And uh, so we went downstairs, and the five minutes was just about up when this little man who was five foot two came out, and he was the commissioner. And he stood there with the howling northerly blowing around, and he said, I want you to know that my staff are very busy. Well, that was the worst thing he could have said, because there were owls. <laughs> Derision at him. And to which he replied, if, you, if you're going to speak to me like that, I'm going back upstairs. <laughs> to which I said, and we'll be coming up after you. So, uh, anyway, he finished what he had to say and we disbanded and I went back to the PSA, it was lunchtime and the chief executive of the PSA, a man called Barry Tucker who was five foot two, um, was there and he said to me in the lunchroom uh, I had a com- ring from the State Services Commission, Mr Butler I understand something's been up and I said, uh, yeah, something up with a big grin on my face he said, good on you
0: We were very fortunate to be able to interview Dame Margaret Baisley, who was born in 1938 and began her career as a psychiatric nurse and rose through the ranks of senior leadership positions at psychiatric hospitals and district health boards. In 1978, she became the Director of Nursing at the Department of Health, the chief nursing position in New Zealand and at that time, the most senior position in the public service held by a woman. In 1984, she became the first female State Services Commissioner. She subsequently held top positions at the Department of Transport and the Department of Social Welfare. In 2012, Dame Margaret was made an additional member of the Order of New Zealand, New Zealand's highest honour. She has continued with public sector work throughout her retirement and has a reputation for reform, transformational leadership and problem solving. At the time of the 1985 government typist strike, Dame Margaret was commissioner in charge of personnel and industrial relations. And in this next clip, she offers her recollections of the day the typist marched onto the State Services Commission building, and her memories of how the negotiations were settled. These comments were from two interviews with Dame Margaret, conducted by Eth, the first in 2019, and then again in 2021.
3: And in the State Services Commission, I remember we had a strike of typists one time. Um, I I was in charge of personnel and industrial relations and the social departments in the State Services Commission. And so I used to handle all the strikes because the State Services Commission commission was the employer for the whole public service. So I remember when the typists went on on strike and we were all writing cabinet papers by hand (laughs) Well, when I went to the State Services Commission, the, well, then we had the Labour government. And so we did a lot of things in Equal Employment Opportunity and um, what have you. But one thing was that very early on, I've never known if it was the government's initiative or whether it was Merv Probine, who was chairman of the State Services Commission, but I was he said to me we were going down to see the secretary of the PSA. And he and I went down and... Um, went into the office of the Secretary of the PSA, and Barry Tucker, who was the Secretary, and Merv had a discussion about the 30 or so women-only groups that were in the very low-paid sector and uh, agreed that the PSA would, the next wage round, would bring applications for big pay increases and that they were to come in through me uh, and that they would be dealt with Get the uh, pay up. So we started off on that, and some of the increases we we were dealing with was twenty and thirty percent. You know, some there were librarians and uh, tea ladies and a whole group of people. Anyhow, the typists, uh, the PSA, uh, led the typists to believe they would get twenty five percent, and they didn't didn't get offered twenty five percent. So they went on on strike and. Um, One day I was out of the State Services Commission building and I came down towards the State Services and here were all the typists with Francis Weavers, who was the PSA Mm -hmm. representative, with a loud hailer, uh, addressing them. And I knew that if I went through anywhere near that, I was going to be in big trouble. So I was creeping up the side of the Reserve Bank building to get around to the back entrance when Francis suddenly spotted me and got on the loud hailer So I had all these typists focused on me creeping into the back of the building. It was just unbelievable. But anyhow, they they would not settle the strike. uh, It was a bit like we just had with the teachers. And um, so they wanted this 25%. And there was no way that that was going to happen. And the PSA knew that that, that it wasn't possible. But in the end, one morning, the PSA, Ros Noonan was mm-hmm. one of them. And I um, can't remember the name of the guy, but I will. Really, he was a staff member there for years. They came in to see me and said that they had a problem, that they could not convince the delegates that they had to accept a lower offer and that we would have to try and do something. So this went on. This was about Tuesday or Wednesday. And so we went into negotiations It went on and on. And by Friday morning, Ros and uh, this guy came again. And the, by this time, they were desperately so because the delegates had to be on their planes in the afternoon, and we didn't. There was no further time to do it, and we had settled it. So they said, "Would I meet the delegates?" So <laughs> the delegates came in uh, to my office, and I don't know how it came about, but I ended up offering them a gin, <coughs> and so <laughs> we all had several gins, and we settled. (laughs) I often think of that uh, today, just imagine anything like that. And I still, I can't remember whose suggestion it was.
0: As mentioned previously, recollections from 40 years ago can be fuzzy. So Dame Margaret offered, in her 2021 interview, more context to the use of gin in the negotiation settlement.
3: Recall the, the gin... I can't, as I think about it now, I query myself as to whether the gin featured before the settlement or whether it was a celebration of the settlement. But certainly I can remember that something that didn't uh, happen, you didn't uh, drink alcohol in the middle of the day, and I think it was probably opened because the the, the gin was opened because they were all leaving Wellington. And there was this very limited time to get the uh, get the settlement, so that's my uh, my recollection. I should say that at that time alcohol was much more freely used in the um, although it um, we were always very careful if the senior people came very often they would come to a meeting at half past four or something and If it went on to six o'clock, the chairman would open the drinks cabinet. And that was quite, that was part of the way of life. I don't remember ever, I had a drinks cabinet in social welfare, which I don't ever remember opening. As a chief executive, I just never ever did that. Uh, and, And I think that that would have been because the climate had changed.
0: So what was the outcome of the strike action in 1985? Well thanks to the online PSA archives and our own researcher Rachel Brown, the following is an excerpt from an article found in PSA journal, volume 72, number 1, February 1985. In early February, the typists accepted an offer which gives them improvements on the pay scale, which mostly range from about 6% to 10%. On grades 1 and 2, the scales remain the same, but when the new rates come into effect, most people will move up a step. The annual general adjustment will be added on to the new rates when it becomes available. Typists have been battling since 1977 to gain major improvements, and the current settlement, providing it is okayed by the government, will mark another step on the way. But there remains a lot to be achieved. In particular, the typists recognise that state pay legislation works against them by basing any change with a misleading comparison with private sector typists. They argue that typing, along with a number of other jobs done mainly or entirely by women, is fundamentally underpaid if compared with other occupations that involve comparable skills but are mainly done by men. At present, typists in the public sector can only make progress if their private sector counterparts get ahead. The disadvantage suffered by female intensive occupations is therefore built into the system. Regina Parsons, a coordinator of the Wellington Regional Committee of Typists, reminded a packed Railways Hall on 29 January that the State Services Commission had other ideas of who did comparable work. She said, You may remember back in 1981 when the SSC told us it took more skill to file paper correctly, which is why filing clerks had a better pay scale than ours. Derisive laughter expressed what everybody thought of that. She went on to say, This time, when we are talking about skills for typists, the comment from the other side of the table was, What skills? The SSC also said, We do not see positions for typists having a developmental aspect. This theme was taken up by a speaker from the floor in an even bigger meeting in the Wellington Town Hall on the 1st of February. She said, Have you ever wondered why there are no men typists? The answer's simple. The job is low paid, there's no promotion, and there is certainly no respect. To most people, she is just a typist. We have to end this bonus episode and the last of the keystrokes per minute episodes with the voice of one of our featured interviewees. So, over to Lorraine, who explains what happened after the strike action was settled and her part in developing a grading system for typists and secretarial
1: staff. Tell me about the role of the union. Was that important? Oh, very. Was it? Tell Especially, of course, with the strike. When we went on strike, which was when year, which year? Oh, I, I'm not too sure, but I think it was struggling. towards the end of my life. Let me see, about 80, 80 something okay. at the beginning. Yep. And you see, we were in a, we were in like a clerk sort of grade, but they said we want our own grade and we want raises and we want this, and we want that. And so they had a meeting down at the town hall, and after all the rah 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 business, they brought out placards and posters and said, "We're walking down Lampton keen We've already got permission." So we all walked down Lambton Key, how embarrassing, holding placards and posters mm-hmm. saying we wanted more money, typists wanted more money in the government. Oh, and, um, and then within a couple of weeks it was agreed to, and Anne, somebody or other from the State Services Commission, she'd always been in charge of the typists, but she couldn't handle going all around New Zealand, working out the different grades and what to give people and what their job was. She couldn't do all that by herself. So all the typists and charges were divided up and we had to go all around New Zealand talking to the bosses and the typists and to what grade should they be on and what are they on now and what do they do and everything like this. And then we all came back and put our things in to the, to the State Service Commission and that was how people were decided what grades and what salary and what everything they were on.
0: Thanks to all the interviewees in this bonus episode, Government Typists Strike. And I'd like to end this limited series podcast by saying thank you to you, the listeners, especially to the dedicated bunch who have listened to every episode. I hope that you have enjoyed the stories from the women typists of New Zealand Public Service Typing Pools as much as I've enjoyed producing them, and that you feel a sense of pride and appreciation for a group of women who have traversed all the challenges of being working women through the eras from the 1950s till today. I'd also like to thank all our guest presenters throughout the series, Sarah Christie, Rachel Patrick, Maggie Rainey-Smith, Rose Melvin and Eth Lloyd. Another team I'd really like to thank are the Wellington Access Radio folks, Esther Taylor, Community and Programming Manager, Kristen Patterson, Station Manager, Tony Kemp, Senior Technician, Johnny Marks, Technician in Music Programming and Shirley Ward, Accounts. Their collective support and expertise has been a great necessity to me as a first-time podcast producer. Namihi nui e hoa mahi. If you'd like to keep up to date with any more future podcast projects, please join the mailing list on the storycollective.nz homepage. Follow us on Instagram at storycollective.nz and if you are a Spotify or Apple podcast user, please rate and review episodes. This helps others find the podcast. The Keystrokes Per Minute project was made possible by funding support from the Ministry of Culture and Heritage and the Public Services Commission. Listeners can find out more about the project by visiting website www.storycollective.nz. The soundtrack was kindly provided by permission from the Boston Typewriter Orchestra. Find their music and merchandise on bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.